What's going on, church? How are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing good? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad you're joining us. Can you guys help me give a big welcome to everybody in Parkland that is joining us on live stream right now? We love you guys. We're so glad that you're joining with us and everybody that's watching online. Man, it's a great weekend to be at church, and I know that we got a lot of dads here, and so, man, dads, we're so, so thankful for your contribution and what you've done to raise up sons and daughters, and, and so after every service, we actually have a, 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 a treat for you. We have some dandy donuts, some ba- bacon maple donuts, and here's what I know about Father's Day. Father's Day is the one day that you get to be selfish as a dad, so like you don't have to share those donuts. You can eat them all to yourself, or you can share it with your kids or maybe your spouse, it's up to you. I wouldn't, though. I just keep it all for myself. So why don't you guys grab those worship guides as we get ready to dive into today's message. Uh, we're gonna be talking about 1 Samuel chapter 17. And if you don't know, this is the story of, of David and Goliath. And, and what's interesting about this story is that David is, is summoned by his dad. And he sa- David's dad basically says to David, hey, here's what I need you to do. I need you to take a charcuterie board out to your brothers that are on the battlefield. Some of you are like, a charcuterie board? Yes. The Bible says that it was cheese and it was bread. That's a charcuterie board to me. Throw some olives on there. It's like you're set. And so he's out there to take this to his brothers that are on the battlefield. When he encounters the armies of Israel being mocked by a giant named Goliath. And so we're going to pick up the story. 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says this says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. And and I want to focus in today, church, on this phrase in that passage of Scripture that is, don't be ridiculous. Everybody on the count of three say, don't be ridiculous. One, two, three. Don't be ridiculous. It's a good phrase right there. Don't be ridiculous. And, and, and I was thinking about this when I read this passage of Scripture, and it got me thinking about a question that I think all of us have to ask ourselves. It's a question that we have to be a little introspective on, that we have to do a little bit of, of a deep internal dive on. And here's the question for all of us, and it's this. is Are you being reasonable with your life? Or are you living ridiculously in life? Like, are you being reasonable and settling for the status quo, the norm, just, just an average life? Or, or are you actually living with, with a faith that is ridiculous, that believes God, that you can do the impossible, that you can see God do things in your life that other people are not seeing? So I want to preach to you, I want to talk to you today about reasonable or ridiculous, reasonable or ridiculous. And it reminds me of, uh, of a few years ago, I got invited by my pastor, his name is Randy Bazette. He, he invited a group of pastors over to the other side of the state to hang out and grow together and learn together and, and just do some life together. And one day, uh, as part of this little retreat that he had, he had planned this fun day around, uh, we went to this go-kart track that is like a, a, a high-end go-kart track where the go-karts are on like a road course where these go-karts go 60, 70, 80, 90 miles an hour. How many of y'all know that that sounds like fun right there? And so, and so like I, I personally, I have a need for speed in my life. If you know anything about me, like I, I have a speeding problem. I like to get places fast. I, I probably had more 
cops pull me over in my lifetime than maybe anybody out there that has not really committed a major crime in their life. And so, and so like, and I say pull me over because I've gotten out of a lot of speaking tickets by the grace of God. Otherwise, I would not be able to even drive. And so, and so I, you know, when I saw this, I'm like, this is, this is an event that is perfectly built for my pedigree because I don't put the pedal to the metal. My pedal is just always down. Like it's, it's, it's just always down. And so I was like, this is gonna be great. And so they're giving us a crash course of like how we have to drive these things and how to be safe. And they, they give us helmets. They strap us in these things. These things are like an inch off the ground. I mean, in this road course is the straightaways. They're like, you can get up to 90 miles an hour and on the turns, you're gonna have to slow down. But I don't believe in slowing down. I believe that you keep the pedal to the metal all the time. Like you don't use the pedal on the left. That's called a brake. Nobody that wins races uses a brake. You just only use the gas. And so I'm thinking this is going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And we start the race and, and we're racing around this track and I'm passing people. And before I know it, I'm in first place. I'm leading the pack. I'm, I'm separating myself from them because I, I just keep the pedal all the way down. Eventually I start catching back up to the people that I passed originally that are on the back end of the race. And I'm starting to kind of weave my way through them. And, and as we're going down this, this turn, some, some carts in front of me spin out. And, and I've learned by watching NASCAR that anytime that there is a wreck, you don't slow down in those moments. You just grab the wheel and you push and you go faster, right? You, you go through the, the, the accident that's happening and hope you make it through it. And so that's exactly what I do. I just grip the wheel a little bit stronger and I just press down and I go flying through there and I make it through unscathed. The only problem is, is because I was so focused on making it through the accident that I didn't realize that there was like a hairpin turn right after that. And so I had a decision to make. Do, do I in that moment actually hit the brake and take away from my speed or do I just try to take the turn at full speed? And so being the genius that I am, I took this turn at full speed. I just whipped the steering wheel. I actually throw myself, like I, my cart starts spinning out on the track, going around the corner, my wheels eventually hit the pavement and like get traction again. The only problem is, is I'm facing the wrong direction. I go up an embankment that's like six or eight feet over a hill and through a chain link fence onto another property. As I go through the chain link fence, it, it hits my helmet that is strapped to my head and rips my helmet off, breaking the strap. I end up on the other side and, and I, I have one of those moments where, where my eyes are closed and, and I just open up my eyes and I think to myself, am I still alive? Anybody ever have one of those moments like you're like a near-death experience where you're like, am I still here? Like, am, is this real life or am I like in heaven right now and doing something different? And, and I look down and my knuckles are all bleeding because I gripped the wheel when I went through the fence and the fence ripped that off. My face is bloody because the fence, yeah, hooked me up. And, uh, and so I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And the pit crews are all running over because they've never seen anybody go up that embankment and go through that fence. Like, that was not an experience. Like, they're worried that they're going to get sued for, for negligence of letting me drive this go-kart. And, 
And as they get over to me and they're unstrapping me out of it, I, I, I start to get up and I realize, ooh, something's not right. Like when it ripped my helmet off, there is some whiplash that has taken place in my neck. My back is hurting and I'm like, oh my goodness, it, did, I, did I mess something up really bad? And it's like in that moment that you always go to the worst case scenario, like I broke my back, I broke my vertebrae, I'm never gonna be the same, I'm never gonna be able to do all the things that I, I've wanted to do in my life. And, and then I went to the next level and I went, oh my gosh, what, what am I thinking? I've got responsibilities in life. Like I've got a wife, I have a child, like I've got a church that I've got a pastor. Like I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I'm in my 40s, I'm not in my 20s anymore. In my 20s, I'm a legend in my mind, but in my 40s, I'm a fat dude. That's not quite as athletic and, 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 and spry as he used to be. And then I had this thought, And I think it's a normal thought to have. Like, and it was this thought of, TJ, you better start playing it safe. You better start taking it easy in life because it's not worth the risk. And I remember in that moment when I had that thought, it's like the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, you might need to take it easy in your physical life, but you never better start taking it easy in your spiritual life. You better never start playing it safe in the aspects of faith in your life. And I think that for a lot of us, the last couple of years has caused a lot of us to allow reasonable mindsets to slip into our faith. That for so long we've been told what we can't do, where we can't go, what we have to wear. You can't go visit your grandparents in the nursing home. You can't go to the birthing room for your child. And if we aren't careful, this, this can't mindset will begin to slip into our faith life. And we begin to think, I, I, I can't dream the dreams that God has put in my heart. I can't believe for the great things that God has for my life. And I, I can't believe that my marriage will be thriving and restored. I, I don't know if I can really dream that my child will come back to God. And here's what I know. All of us have a Saul that is speaking in our year. All of us have a Saul that is saying, David, don't be ridiculous. Like, like, play it safe. Take it easy. All of us have a Saul that is wanting us to stay in reasonable living. Like, I, 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 I can't believe the great things of God. I can't believe that God would do immeasurably more than all I could ask, think, or imagine. And in some area of our life, whether it's our identity, it's in a relationship, it's in our career, it's in our parenting, it's in, it's in the dream that God has birthed inside of us. All of us have a Saul that is wanting us to drag us back to being reasonable. And church, I'm just telling you, the world today needs some Davids that will go, oh no, I'm gonna be ridiculous with my faith. South Florida needs a church that is called Coastal Community Church that goes, no, 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 we're gonna live with some ridiculous faith and we're gonna believe for the ridiculous in our life. All of us need a spirit of David living inside of us. I love what David said in the text. He, he actually walked up and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? speaking against the armies of God. 
Like David was so confused that the armies of God were cowering against this giant that was uncircumcised. And some of you are like, well, what's the big deal about that? Maybe they didn't offer that procedure back in the day when he was born. But what you have to understand is that, is that when David says this, he's talking about a covenant with God. He's talking about the fact that, that when, you have, when you're in this covenant with God, when you're in this relationship with God, you have a covering and a protection that is over your life. So what David is saying is, is why are you who are under the protection of God afraid of a giant who is outside of the protection of God? So I would ask you today, some of you who are cowering, in fear against an enemy that doesn't have the hand of God on them when you, a child of God, have the power of God. In fact, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside you. Why would you cower back in fear? Why would you live a reasonable life? Why would you choose reasonable over ridiculous what has captivated you to stay in reasonable instead of inspiring you to live the ridiculous? And I think there's a great story in Acts chapter 3 that will help explain why some of us stay reasonable instead of believing for the ridiculous. And, and, and what's taking place is that Jesus has ascended into heaven. The disciples were in the upper room. The Holy Spirit has fallen upon them. They, they've gone out into the, the city square and Peter has preached and thousands have come to know Christ. And the very next day, they're, they're on their way to prayer. And this is what it says. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate. So the Bible tells us he was lame from birth. And, and what it says is that somebody carried him in in the morning and somebody took him away in the evening. Somebody carried him in in the morning. Somebody took him away in the evening. And, and it says they brought the temple gate, the one called Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them, for some money. So, so Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and he is the same Luke that wrote the gospel of Luke. And if you don't know, he's actually a doctor. And so all of his accounts are very detail-oriented. They're, they're very intricate. They, they have all the things that are very important if you want to know the, the, the details of what's going on, which I love because I'm not naturally a very detail-oriented person. I'm a big picture person in life. And so my wife is the one that's very detail-oriented. So like, I will go to a meeting and I'll have a great meeting. I'll spend a couple hours there, have incredible conversation, then come home. And Shayla will go, how was the meeting? I'll go, man, it was a great meeting. We had a great conversation. What's for dinner? And Shayla's like, no, no, that's not what I was asking. I was like, well, how'd the meeting go? What did you guys say? How did they feel when they said that? How was their expression? How were their kids doing? In fact, their kids' names are this, this, and this, and this. Why? Because she knows all of the details. And so Luke is, is a doctor, and so he's very detail-oriented. I don't know about you, but I want my doctor detail-oriented. I don't want a doctor that's like, hey, we're going to be doing some surgery today, and it's going to be somewhere around this area of your body. No, 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 I want him to know, no, no, we're going in right there, and we're going to take care of this thing. So it's very detailed. You don't, want, you, want a, you don't want a big picture doctor. He says that Peter and John, they're going to the temple at the time of prayer, and at the same time, there is this divine intersection that takes place with Peter and John in this man that is lame from birth. 
In fact, in Scripture, we don't even know his name. We just know that he's identified by his issue. And isn't that the culture that we live in today, that everyone wants to identify you by your issue? I like that Jesus identifies me by the blood that covers all of my sins, that he calls me the righteousness of God. He doesn't call me by what I struggle with. He calls me by my name that he gave me. There is a divine moment where, where we can plan our ways, but the Bible says that our steps are ordered by God. And I want you to know that there is a divine intersection that I believe is going to take place today and maybe you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time or or somebody invited you to church and you're like man I, I think I'm actually here by accident no 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 I want you to know that you're here on assignment today God has a divine intersection between his spirit and your life and he wants to do something in you that hasn't been done before he wants to work in your life in a way that you haven't experienced in life. And so this lame man, he's laying beside the gate. And you have to understand that this is an extremely strategic move. A little Bible study for you. If you didn't know, this in this day and time, this is an agricultural society. This is a livestock society. It's very much a society where you earned your income through labor and life. And so you used your hands. You were a carpenter. It wasn't really like an office society. There weren't a lot of thought leaders in the day. Like, hey, what do you do for a living? I think for a living. No, no, no. You're, you're a shepherd. You, you take care of sheep. And, and so that was more what was happening in this day. So this man having a physical disability in his life, had no ability to actually earn income, but there was a belief in Jewish tradition that you had to treat poor people as if they were your own family and that you had a moral obligation to take care of the poor. So this man being very strategic understands this. So what does he do? He places himself right outside the temple gate and he lays there knowing that the very best and most religious people are going to come to the prayer time and they're gonna sense a, a, have a sense of obligation morally to give him some change. So like this guy isn't an idiot. He's, he's actually extremely brilliant and he was in a strategic spot and it would be like the, the guy that sets up a sign in your neighborhood on the intersection that goes like, I need some food, I need some help. And then he knows that like you're coming from Publix and you got a bag full of groceries or you're coming right out of McDonald's and he knows you got a cheeseburger. Like he's ready for you. So Peter and John come up at the same time and he asks them for some money which I think is kind of ironic because he's laying outside the gates when there is actually a prayer meeting going on inside the gate. Like, why is it that his friends leave him outside the gate when the miracle he is searching for is happening on the inside of the gate. Like, like, I think that it can speak to a lot of us as believers as sometimes we're happy leaving people outside the gate. My imagination wonders, did they leave him outside the gate then run inside the gate themselves to the prayer meeting? That he was laying outside the gate begging for money when inside the gate he could have been experiencing the miracle that he needed in life? Let our church never be a place that we are comfortable leaving people that are broken and hurting and destitute outside the gates. When we have a savior that, that he healed in the past, he'll heal today. The one that set people free in the past can set you free today. Let us be a place that recognizes that if he did it in the past, he'll do it in the present and he'll do it in the future. But he's left outside the gates. 
and he's begging for money. And I think this metaphorically represents some of us today. Instead of believing God, instead of going, no, 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 don't leave me outside the gate, take me inside the gate because I want a miracle, we've settled for money. Let me say it like this. Instead of attempting the ridiculous, we've settled for the reasonable in our life. So we become fine living less than. Like, I don't really expect my marriage to thrive. I just hope we make it. That's reasonable. Like, I don't really expect my kids to be planted in the house of the Lord and thriving and flourishing and bearing great fruit in their lives. I just hope they grow up and marry somebody nice. That's reasonable living. Like, I don't really expect to live with joy because the Holy Spirit is on the inside of me. I just hope that the bitterness doesn't carry over into my life. That's just reasonable living. Like, I don't expect to forgive. I don't expect to God to, to give me an Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 life of immeasurably more than all I could ask, think, or imagine that, like, my dreams could actually come to fruition. I'm just fine settling for the reasonable. I'm fine staying outside the gate. And here's what I've found with my life, that giants don't fall at the feet of reasonable people. They fall at the feet of ridiculous people who are willing to go, God, I want more of you. I trust you. I want to see exceed abundantly above in all of my life. But to be honest, I kind of understand why people live at a level of reasonable. Like, it makes sense to me that it's easy to stay outside the gate in that place. And I think one of the reasons that we stay outside the gate, number one, is because a lot of us, we feel unworthy. Like, we just feel unworthy of all. Like, who am I to ask God to do anything great in my life? Pastor, you don't know the past that I've had. You don't know what I've come out of. Like, honestly, I'm just happy that God would let me into heaven. Like, I don't actually expect heaven to come down to earth, even though that's what Jesus taught me to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, God actually expects you and I to be a conduit of heaven here on this earth through our life. Like, even though that's what he told us to talk about and pray about, like, I don't actually believe it. Who am I to go before God and expect him to do immeasurably more or believe for something greater in my life or see my marriage restored? Like, forget my past. I feel unworthy because of my yesterday. Like, I don't have to look back a year from now. I just have to look back two days ago when I yelled at my brother and I cussed out that person and I had that thought and my anger overtook me. And so I just don't feel worthy. And what ends up happening is we go, man, I'm good to live reasonably. In fact, I'm good to even just live below the radar of God because I think I'm unworthy. And I would just say to you today that your worthiness is not predicated on your behavior. Your worthiness has been declared by the cross of Jesus Christ. And I would just ask you this question. If Jesus paid it all, why would you leave anything on the shelf that he has already purchased for you? If he's already purchased your salvation, if he's already purchased your forgiveness, if he's already purchased your freedom, if he's already purchased your blessing, why would you leave any of that on the shelf? Why would you decide to live below the level of your inheritance? Because we feel unworthy. I think another reason some of us remain outside the gate is number two is because it just works. 
Like, it just works. Like, he would not have gone out there every single day, like, if it didn't fill the jar of his life. Like, it might even be reasonable and dysfunctional, but here's what I know. For a lot of us, it's just comfortable. Like, it's what we've always known. It's what we've always experienced. And so the comfort of dysfunction and reasonable keeps us in the same exact place that we've always been. And I've learned with myself and almost everyone I know is that most of us will take the path of least resistance every time it's an option. Like, think about that diet and exercise plan you came up with in January. Yeah, that one. That one that you're not doing anymore. What happened? Well, Monday came along and at the office there was a donut and it was in my path and so I just ate it. Why? Because it filled your cup for that moment. And then what happened? Well, the next day somebody asked me to burgers for lunch and, and I just went. Why? Because it filled it for that moment. And there's something about it in that moment that it just works. It just, it just makes me feel good even though it may not last momentarily. It feels good. In fact, I think there's something even about dysfunction, even though we don't like it and we hate it and we don't want to be lame and we don't want to stay outside the gate. We hate the cycle of the argument and the makeup, the argument, then the makeup, getting angry, then apologizing. He cheats on you and says sorry and so you go back. We hate the cycle. We hate the, the, the idea that the lack of our identity puts us around people that aren't good for us. But there is something about it that in that moment, it just feels good. And it works. Because here's the deal. If it didn't work, you wouldn't keep doing it. So what you're doing is you're out there. Somebody love me. Somebody give me some attention. Somebody join my pity party. Why? Because it fills something in us. But do you know the scariest thing to me about reasonable living? It's that you'll find other, other people that are reasonable people that will keep you in your reasonable living. There are plenty of people that come around you and put some coins in your, in your bucket and say, no, 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 I like you bitter because if, if you stay bitter, it makes me feel good about my bitterness. No, 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 I like you gossiping because the moment you start gossiping, it, it justifies my gossip and it makes me comfortable. And they will keep you there and they will keep you from being ridiculous because if you get ridiculous, it will shine light on their reasonableness and that makes them uncomfortable. So keep talking bad about your spouse so now I can talk bad about my spouse and we can both gripe together about it and it makes me feel comfortable. Well, pastor, I'm just venting. No, you're negative. Come on, somebody. There are plenty of people that will keep you in your dysfunction, keep you in your bitterness, keep you in unforgiveness, keep you in a lifestyle on Friday that doesn't match up with the songs you sing on Sunday. 
And I've just come to church today to say, why don't you, why don't you toss the jar aside? Why don't you throw it to the side? And why don't you make a decision today that I'm, I'm not going to live reasonably any longer. I'm going to do whatever it takes, whatever it costs, whatever obstacle is out there, I will overcome. Because I don't want to live reasonably. I want to live with a ridiculous faith in my life. In verse 4 it says this, Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked intently at them, eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of the Nazarene. Get up and walk. The Bible says the lame man looked at him eagerly, expecting something. Here's what I've learned. Your request will reveal your level of expectancy. Your request is going to reveal your level of expectancy. The man was asking for money because why? He was expecting money. He never even thought or fathomed to actually ask for a miracle. And here's what I've learned. Your prayers will reveal your level of expectation toward God's. If, you, if, if your prayer is like, God, just help me get through this day, you know what God's going to go? He's going to go, okay, that's easy. But what if you took it a step further and go like, God, I, I really, what I need you to do is I need you to begin to heal my marriage. God would go, okay, I can do that too. Your request reveals your level of expectation. So Peter says, man, here, here, I know you want money, but he says, silver and gold I don't have. Like, Peter is that friend that you go out to lunch or dinner with, that when the bill comes, they're like, uh, I, I, I don't have my wallet. I'll get you next time. There, it's that guy. He says, he, says, he says, here's what I'm gonna do. He says, why don't you stand up and walk? And when we read the text, we go, that's the miracle. That's what it is. Man, and, and he runs in the temple and he's praising God. That's awesome. And I would say to you, not so fast, because when Peter says, get up and walk, here's what he's saying to the man. He's saying, listen, the way that you have always lived, the way that you've always operated, the way that you've always earned your income, the way that you've always seen yourself, the way that it has always been in this moment, the moment that I tell you, man, get up and walk, it means that everything in your life is going to have to change. You're going to have to set down the jar, and you're going to have to realize that no longer can you beg. You're going to actually have to physically work. No longer can you live with your identity as you're a lame person, you're gonna walk around with an identity of a healed person. All of a sudden, the way that you've engaged with people from below, you're gonna stand eye to eye to them and everything is going to change in your life and it sounds ridiculous, but it's awesome. So when you think about that, so when Peter says, stand up and walk, like it's actually a ridiculous request. And I've just found that it's in the ridiculous that you find the miraculous. Think about it. Naaman, go dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed of leprosy. The Jordan River is disgusting. It's ridiculous. No, it's miraculous. Jesus, I'm going to spit in some mud. <laughs> And I'm going to put it in your eye, and you're going to wash it out, and you're going to be healed. That's ridiculous. Nope. It's miraculous. I work 60 hours a week, and the church expects me to serve on a dream team. That's ridiculous. No, 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 no. That's where you'll see the miraculous. 
I've worked my tail off to earn this income and God wants me to return 10%. That's ridiculous. No, that's where the miraculous is found. And I've just learned that in order to see the miraculous, you have to be willing to do the ridiculous, which means you have to be willing to let go of what's reasonable. You have to be willing to let go of it. And this man, he was lame since birth, so all he knew was this position. All he knew was this life that he had lived. And Peter comes along and says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. What he's saying to this man in this moment is, is like, Man, you're gonna have to leave behind everything you know, and I know that you don't trust that your legs are gonna work. In fact, your, your muscles have never fired, your tendons have never worked, but if you'll trust in this moment, something miraculous will happen. And what it means for us is that a lot of us, we've been in dysfunction for so long, we've been in dysfunction in our marriage, we've, we've had this lifestyle for so long, and, and God's going, man, if you'll trust me, if you'll just take a step, if you'll just, if you'll just decide that you're gonna put a foot underneath your torso, here's what I promise I'll do. I'll step into that situation, I'll begin to dive into that marriage and heal the places that cannot be healed by you, but can only be healed by me. I'll begin to move into that, those choices that you've made in the past that have hindered you and break you free from those things if you'll put some trust in me. If you just put your foot down, what you'll begin to see as you put some pressure on it, those muscles will begin to fire. Those tendons will begin to work. You'll be strengthened in ways that you've never been strengthened if you'll just trust me. And I'm just asking you, will you move a little bit today? Will you begin to get outside of what you've always known, the reasonable in your life, the standard in your life, the things that you've been told in your life? And will you begin to just trust and put some pressure there and see if God won't do what he said he would do? See, because what I've learned is, is what seems ridiculous to you is really just reasonable to God. It's reasonable to God. So if you today will begin to live with some ridiculous faith, but pastor, all I've known is lame. All I've known is broken. All I've known is sitting outside the gate. All I've known, I know, I know. But if you just put one foot underneath that torso today. And listen, I'm not asking you to run. I'm, I'm asking you, get up on one knee. I, I'm not asking you to run. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just asking you, man, maybe, maybe, maybe stand up on both legs. I'm not asking you to run a marathon. I'm, I'm asking you, will you take one step and maybe grab a brother or sister next to you and say, like, listen, will you, will you lock arm in arm with me and help me take my first step to that restoration in my marriage? Will you help me take that next step towards a deeper relationship with God? Will you help me take that next step towards knowing the things that God has for my life? Will you help me take that next step to hold me accountable to this addiction that I've had? Will you you take the step with me and I promise you that in the ridiculous you'll find the miraculous so church what are you waiting for what are you waiting for in your marriage what are you waiting for in your purpose what are you waiting for in your parenting in your finances, in your physical health, 
Where are you setting, settling for reasonable? Where God has called you to be ridiculous. I love what Peter says a little bit further in Acts. He says this, Peter fairly exploded with good news. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. And some of you need to hear that today. You think, well, God can do it for them, but he'd never do it for me. No, no, no. It's a, he's an equal opportunity God. There's no discrimination here. In fact, it says it makes no difference who you are or where you're from. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your history. It doesn't mean, matter your upbringing. It doesn't matter what you were born with or not born with. It says if you want God and you're ready to do as he says, here's, here's the deal. God has opened the door. He's opened the door. The question for us is, is are we going to stay in the reasonable? Or are we beginning to step into the ridiculous that he has for our life? Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? God, I pray for every man. I pray for every woman. I pray for every student, everybody that's watching online or in Parkland right now. God, that hears my voice. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that every single one of us in some aspect of our life have settled for the reasonable. We settled for the status quo of what life is. And God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would begin to speak to the depths of who we are. That would begin to challenge us in areas where we've just settled, where you haven't called us to settle, but you've just called us to pitch a tent. And it's time for us to get up and start moving towards the ridiculous things that you have in our life. And God, I pray that as we step into the ridiculous, God, that we would experience the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of God moving evidently in our lives in ways like we've never experienced. God, that you would begin to transform things that we could never fix, that you would begin to heal areas that we could never restore. God, that you would begin to move in the intricate parts that nobody else even knows about in our lives. God, that we would take this moment to recognize that this is a call from you. To not live reasonable, but to live ridiculous. God, but I also believe that maybe there's some other people that are out there that have never experienced the ridiculousness of how much you love them. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How ridiculous is that? That, that when we were messed up and we were in a mess, God said, you know what? I'm going to make a way where there is no way for them. I'm going to do the ridiculous thing by giving my one and only son. So that we could not only have life, but we could have it abundantly. Like we could experience all the things that he's paid for on the shelf. And I want you to know that that door is open today. And maybe you're here and you've never experienced a relationship with God. Or maybe you did a long time ago and you walked away and you said, you know what, Pastor TJ, today is the day that I need to come back home. The door is open and begins with a simple yet significant prayer of surrender. If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, here's what I would ask. At the count of three, whether you're in Parkland or right here in Lighthouse One, if you just slip your hand up, I'd love to pray a prayer with you. One, two, three. Go ahead and slip those hands up. Yes, ma'am, I see you. Thank you. Anybody else? Don't miss this moment. This is the moment that God brought you here for. This is the divine intersection that he's been working on. That thing that you're feeling in your heart, that's the spirit of God moving in your life right now. It's calling you to something more than what you've settled in in your life. Anybody else? 
If you just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud, I'll say, God, thank you for doing the ridiculous for me. That while my life was a mess, you said, you know what, I'm going to send somebody that can save that mess. And it was your son. Thank you for his death and his burial and his resurrection on the cross. I ask you to forgive me of my past, change my present, and secure my future. God, I surrender my will and I surrender my way. Take over my life. Fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness and your mercy all the days of my life. God, I love you and I thank you that you've got so much more for me than I've ever experienced. God, I put my trust and my faith in you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said, amen.